You're listening to Art and Magic, and I'm your host, Devin Walls. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the show. This is the first official episode of season three, and man, I'm excited to be here. It was a really long break after season two, which was unplanned, but very necessary. And in that break period of time, I have both overworked and rested a lot, and I'm painting much slower than I have in the past, and I'm processing last year, and I'm processing this year, because 2021 is not really an escape from 2020. And I'm also feeling springtime and the desire to have more conversations again and Just like get the creative wheels turning in a new way, you know? I've really missed connecting with you guys in this way and connecting with other artists like this. So it's a celebratory moment for season three, the launch of season three. In having recorded the first maybe handful of interviews for the season, some themes have definitely already emerged and today's episode is included in that. And while my intention with the show has always been to have the most honest conversations possible, I think season three is kind of a new level. I think after, you know, the time period that we're in and have just gone through, we've been really humbled and there is no more like I have X, Y, and Z figured out. Not that I think any of us had that anyway, but if there's even a shred of it left, I think it's gone. And while that's been very difficult in a lot of ways... I think the nudge toward reevaluation is always a good thing, especially as artists. I think we're really good at this kind of stuff. I think that in addition to asking the hard questions and forging our own path, when it comes to processing the world at large, this is, this is kind of our work, right? We're doing it in this, dare I say, alchemical way. And I think maybe we might be on the brink of some early fruits of that labor. So that kind of brings me to today's episode. I decided to kick things off with a super transparent one, and I'm going to get more into why that is in just a second here. But before I tell you about Amanda, who's awesome, and the episode today, I do have a very exciting announcement. So something I've really been evaluating in these past months when I've been off is how can I continue to put out quality episodes on a regular basis in a way that's also sustainable? And this has led me to opening up a space for support for the show and also a space where you guys can get more quality content and maybe a little bit more intimate interaction. So I decided to open up a Patreon for myself and for the show. And this is a space where you can just give like $3 a month if you just want to throw out some support, which is extremely helpful. At the $5 level, you'll get one bonus episode per month, which is for patrons only, and these will be a little bit more raw. Uh, They'll be sometimes me chatting with people that I'm actually friends with in real life, but they're still going to follow the same format as the standard episodes. And there's a $15 level where you can get the answer to one question a month. So that might be a materials question. It might be feedback on like your Instagram feed or work in progress. And I'll answer your question either in an audio clip or in an email. Funds from this Patreon will go towards editing this podcast. 
um, providing me with a little bit more time and spaciousness to create it, as well as supporting my own studio practice. Uh, so rent and supplies and all the things that are needed in order to make these endeavors possible. Every contribution is so appreciated and really, really adds up. Even if everybody who listened to this show or half the people who listened to this show gave $3 a month, I would be able to put out so much more content in a way that I would really like to. So if you're interested in that, uh, you can search me on Patreon, just my name, Devin Walls. The link is also in the show notes. And there's already April's bonus episode there waiting for you. In this episode, I talk about how to find creative community, my questionable relationship to art history, a little bit about how I gather inspiration and what I'm currently inspired by, um, information on how and when to know it might be time to take the leap and get an art studio, and also what I've seen work when it comes to growing your Instagram. So it's a fun episode with lots of different topics that will definitely apply to you in one way or another. You can head over there to unlock it and check it out. Okay, so let's get into what I have in store for you today. Today is more of a co-hosted episode with my good friend Amanda Sandlin, and we talk about this a bit in the episode, but her and I uh, chat very regularly about just artist stuff and what's going on for us, and I really love and enjoy our calls. They've been so nourishing for me during this time of COVID when we've all been more isolated. And even if we weren't in COVID, just getting to connect with somebody else and be like, oh, oh my gosh, you're experiencing that too, um, is such a relief. And so I wanted to essentially let you guys be a fly on the wall to one of our chats and hear what we really are grappling with and what we really do talk about. This is actually a little bit more of a vulnerable episode for me because even though I'm always honest with you guys, I don't know if I always share really what I'm grappling with and thinking about in real time, but that definitely comes out in this episode and Amanda does a really great job of bringing that level of transparency herself, which encourages it in me and my hope is that you'll have the experience that I have when I talk with Amanda, which is... Oh man, it just feels good to talk about these things and know I'm not the only one. So we're bringing this to you in the form of busting the common artist myths that are out there. And you'll hear in the episode kind of how that topic even came about. But if you are going through a time where you're feeling extra self-critical or like you're comparing yourself even more than usual, I think this is going to be a really soothing episode for you to listen to. So let me tell you a little bit about Amanda, who has been such such a bright light for me to be able to connect with um, more and more in these past couple months. Artist and writer Amanda Sandlin creates interior landscapes and accompanying poems inspired by her time in nature on what she calls spirit walks. Rooted together in ruthless self-honesty, raw emotion, and divine connection, her paintings and poetry aim to create moments for the viewer to pause and be curious about their inner experience. Amanda graduated from Ryder University with a BA in journalism and a minor in political science. She has been featured in publications such as Coverture and Condé Nast Traveler and has shown her work throughout Colorado. Past and current creative partnerships include Spacey Studios New York City, Maggie Rogers, Rebecca Taylor, Little, Brown, and Company, and more. Make sure you go check out her work. You can find all the links in the show notes. Either you can pause here or head after the show. And without further ado, I give you my conversation with Amanda. 
Hi, Amanda. Hi. (laughs) Um, Before we dive into stuff, can you just tell us a little bit about like what you make and who you are? Anything you want to share? Yeah. Um, Well, I am a painter and a writer uh, and I live in Boulder, Colorado. And I've been a freelance artist now for six years, seven years, something like that. Um, I was a graphic designer and an illustrator before um, becoming like a full-time artist and painter as I am now. And I've been doing this for the last couple of years. Um, But yeah, that's what I do. I paint abstract uh, landscapes and abstract paintings. And I also write poetry to go with my paintings. Um, And yeah, that's about it. Yeah. And you're also a great art friend. So we, we kind of started connecting. Gosh, how long, how long have we been doing this now? How long have we been like chatting? Not that long. Like chatting recently? Yeah. Oh, maybe four or five months or something. Yeah. And we've, we like followed each other and had small exchanges and we actually connected over another interview back in 2017, which we were yeah. talking about. So that, that's been a while too. Yeah. So I, I, it's funny. Cause I was like, yeah, we've only been like really connecting for the past four or five months, but it mm-hmm. feels like I've known you longer. And I guess that's because I actually have. So the reason that this, what this was like born out of is that on our first call together, we got on just to like share and connect and like have an artist friend. And I don't know, like possibly give each other feedback, but it didn't really end up going Mm. in that direction. And our whole conversation was just you and I being like, well, I feel like I should do this, but I really don't. (laughs) And I always feel this way, but I really don't act this way. And it just ended up being like a should confessional. Was that your experience? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Oh, and it was so, it's so nice to hear someone else saying all of these things. Cause yeah, it can get a little lonely and solitary and you just get in your head working alone in your studio or wherever. So yeah, that was a good chat. (laughs) Yeah. And I think like what it really illuminated for me when we got off the call. So I was like, man, I don't know if this is every industry or if it's particularly for artists, but there are so many like shoulds and standards and things that like kind of haunt us. Mm -hmm. And that's really difficult. And like art is already something that people tend to be self-critical about. There's or I experience so many doubts already when I go into my studio. So to have this other layer makes it really hard. So I guess maybe we could start off by just talking about our relationship to shoulds, like anything you want to share, mm-hmm. like about how this has played a role or how it's helped to look at them or just like why there's so many shoulds in the art realm. <laughs> anything yeah. there. Well, for me, I always thought that this was like something kind of unique to me because I'm a self-taught artist Mm. as you are too. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just always thought that was like just my own thing that I deal with in my own head. But the more I've started talking to people and really this, the pandemic has helped with that because I feel like there's just less connecting in those everyday friendships that I've been like forced to really reach out to people 
like you and some of my other art friends. And I've just started to realize that this isn't just like a self-taught artist thing and it's really universal. Mm. Um, and the reason for that, I mean, I think there are probably a lot of reasons, but I think it's, that's just the nature of any uh, sort of practice or craft that is so, is so much about self-expression. Mm. Um, it's just vulnerable. So I think sometimes we might cling to certain shoulds like going to art school or being represented by certain galleries or whatever it may be, maybe to like override or deal with our fear a little bit. I feel like it helps with that. But yeah, I think it's, it's universal in all artists. <laughs> and um, something else I've been thinking about is how the art world has been so gate kept for such a long time um, by like galleries or curators or critics um, or like higher education. So I think that that just naturally creates a lot of shoulds in our industry. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. Well, that I've took like a deep breath when you're saying like art is already so vulnerable, like anything in self-expression is already so vulnerable. And so we kind of, I forget the language you use, but it really resonated. Like we might kind of use the shoulds like as a place to put that. So it's like, when I'm not feeling good enough, it's easy for me to externalize like, oh, it's because I don't have this thing that this person has, or I didn't go this route that I should have gone. When really it's just like my vulnerability and self-doubt and fear that I won't get to make what I want or have what I want, like being projected onto these external things that um, as a group of artists, I think we're all kind of collectively holding. And, and I think that kind of speaks to the second part is like, well, why are we holding all these things? And I think because art has been gatekept, like traditionally it's been, you know, monitored and regulated by people with money and at higher up institutions. And which is also really weird because making art is also like really human and natural and people have been yes. doing it way outside of and before those institutions as well so yeah and there's also a lot of different ways to be an artist like there's a lot of different expressions of being an artist so when those different paths start looking outside at like well how's everybody else doing it it can feel like oh well I'm doing this really wrong and I think social media has played a big role in that that's something else I wanted to bring up like how do you feel social media has played into this whole should myth business? Actually, I keep saying should, but really I planned on calling this episode myths. So I guess should and myths are interchangeable. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, do you feel like social media has has like exalted the myths? Um, or maybe they've always been there. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I mean, <clears throat> yes. Um... I don't know. What are your thoughts on this? It feels so big and it's huge to talk yeah. about. <laughs> it's huge. It's so hard. I think that's why I was like, right, well, let's just enter by talking about shoulds in general, because, you know, on the one hand, it kind of feels like this is everything like outside of being in the studio and making your work. Mm-hmm. I think this is such a large part of the experience, you know, comparing and wondering what I should be doing and like the myths that are held by others. So yeah, with social media, I guess my, I guess what I don't know the answer to, I don't know if it has made the shoulds and myths like actually stronger. 
or if they're just more in your face because we engage with social media so often. So it's like, maybe these things have always existed, but now with social media, we're like confronted with so many different versions of them um, all the time. And it gets so easy maybe to be overtaken by them, like easier than it would have been before because social media is such a part of my daily experience, although it shouldn't be, but it is. I don't know. Does that feel, does that feel true for you? Does that? Yeah, that the second piece really does Mm. resonate with me because I think so much of just like the negative aspects of social media in general are just kind of amplifying some of the negative aspects of just human nature. (laughs) So I, I tend, I mean, there's definitely been some like phenomenon that has been created by social media but I think a lot of it is just yeah amplifying and bringing it to to the surface something that has like already existed within us yeah we're just like constantly consuming this information and um, seeing how other people are living which is like pretty new, like a new experience for humans. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's like a magnifying glass on human nature. I mean, I'm sure artists throughout time have struggled with comparison, comparison, (laughs) comparison and self-criticism. That was like those two words. (laughs) That actually totally could be a thing. Um, But yeah, the artists throughout time have been dealing with that forever. Uh, But now it's just in our face so much more often maybe harder to get away from. So all that being said, Amanda and I, well, so I actually took some notes after our initial conversation. I was like, what were the things that naturally came up for us? I wrote them down and then her and I kind of kept talking about it and added them. So we're going to talk about the big myths that we think have like been in our field or played a role for us and kind of break them down. And I, in hopes of making everybody feel less alone and then, and also just talking about the ways these things are or aren't true for us or what the nuance is. I think I like that we're both different artists who work in different styles with slightly different backgrounds. And so your relationship to one might be different than mine. And yeah, I'm kind of excited to dive in. I don't know how many we have. I didn't actually count them. So it's going to be a surprise. I was just now realizing it would have been cool to be like the 10 myths, but to be honest, I don't know how many there are. So we're going to just find out. So do you want to alternate? We'll each read, we'll each go through. Sure. Okay. So real artists, quote unquote, we're creating art at a young age, (laughs) from a young age. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, when did you start? So painting or drawing or anything like visually creative. I think of myself as a young kid as very like imaginative, mm-hmm. but I was certainly not, you know, I don't know if you had this, but like the kids in school who were really good at drawing, I can yeah. think of like three off the top of my head from my own experience. <laughs> and I was like, not one of those kids. So I never saw myself as an artsy kid. Um, yeah, like I think I did pretty okay in art classes and stuff, but just there was nobody around me to identify that or like reflect back to me. Nobody in my family is an artist. Um, so I never, ever, ever thought anything about my visual art skills, like at all. 
mm-hmm. even though I enjoyed it. And I think I did it from time to time, but there was no focus on it. And it wasn't until I was in my junior year of college that I was like dealing, coping with like a lot of depression and just like issues. And so I intentionally went and got some like crayons and colored pencils and that was the start of it, but that wasn't even, I wouldn't even consider that like the quote unquote art that I is part of the journey that I'm in now. I don't think that even happened until three or four years later when I like got some acrylic paints. So yeah, I was much older. And I think that was really something I dealt with was this like self-conception of myself as an artist, because I'd never had that. I was, it was like weird for me to tell my family, like I'm doing art now. They were like, that's weird. We would have never thought that. (laughs) And I think I still, I think I still, I think I'm just now being like, oh, I can, I can do stuff. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but that self-concept piece, I think, cause I didn't have it from a young age is like, is prevalent for me. What about you? Well, I have a question. Did you have a okay. creative passion as a kid? I did. I danced. Oh, okay. I loved dancing. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I nice. thought I would grow up to be a choreographer, which in retrospect is kind of artist-like because you're like making things up. Yeah. But um, yeah. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I really didn't do much visual creating as a kid at all. Um, writing was definitely my first creative love. Uh, and that's something I still kind of battle in my own mind today. Like, oh, should I just, should I just quit all this paint, painting stuff and just like, just write? Like I went to school for journalism and just like, should I just become a journalist? Like we need good journalists in the world now. Or <laughs> like, should I just write a book instead of doing all these like stupid paintings? <laughs> Like that, this is definitely a conversation I have with myself, like monthly, if not bi-weekly or something. Um, but I do remember drawing, I watched that show Pappy Land as a kid. Oh. Did you watch that on PBS? It's, it's ringing such a bell. I'm like, yeah. I know I watched it, but I can't visually pull oh, it up. Man. It was such a good show. Um, yeah, it was just like a little imaginative. I don't even know how long it was. It had to be pretty short, but then they had kids do like a little drawing exercise at the end. And I think my mom still has, I drew like a little post man and I think she still has that drawing, but like, that's one of the only things I remember drawing or painting as a kid. Um, I didn't take any art classes in art school or, oh my gosh, in a high school. Um, my creative class in high school was home ec (laughs) and I didn't really take any, I had like one graphic design class in, um, it was like a newspaper layout graphic design class in college. And yeah, I really didn't, yeah, I, I didn't draw or paint as a kid. So yeah, but you always hear stories about people that are just like, I was just when I could like get function of my fingers, I grabbed my mom's <laughs> lipstick and drew it on our milk carton. <laughs> That's just, actually a really good story. <laughs> I know, but every time I hear that, I'm like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. Like if that, if that is your story, like I think that's incredible. And I kind of wish that I had that story. Like, yeah, I, I do wish that I had more experience painting and drawing, like 
because I've only really been focused on it for probably the last five or six years. But yeah, it's just not, it's not my story. So. I, I love, I love that resounding statement because that's exactly what I was going to kind of say, or what I've had to come to is like, it's just not my story. And there's a lot of reasons that it would have been cool if it was like, namely the experience and all that extra time to like get my skills up and whatever, and maybe make different choices earlier on, but it's not my story. And I have to like, trust that there's a reason for that. You know, I don't know if you feel that way. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, there are so many like pros and cons to going to art school. Um, but I think one of the real benefits of not having gone to art school is, yeah, just like creating this path for yourself that is, I think, probably different than a lot of people who maybe were like really in that, the art school world and like followed that path. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it's just like, there's, yeah, there's benefits and downsides to every, if you want to call it even a downside, just differences Mm -hmm. in every path. But yeah, I think it's just all about embracing your own background and your unique history. And that gives you your unique voice. So I think that is like more valuable than anything. Yeah. And that's a really good segue. I think I actually have, or we have this on here. Whoa, it's the next one. Perfect. I was like, oh no, I'm going to have to mess up the order. But it is the next one that real artists have an art education or went to art school. And I think you kind of are speaking to that perfectly. (laughs) Busted, Um, already busted the myth. Yeah, just busted it out. We're done. Show's over. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. More things about the art school art school life or the lack of art school. I also did not go to art school. I'm also self-taught and that does generate insecurity. I think that, yeah, it kind of goes back to maybe something I was mentioning in the beginning, like, actually, I guess I didn't really say this, but I feel like based on higher up institutions, there is this narrative of like, if you're serious, this is the route you'll go. And it includes school and grad school and awards and exhibitions and residencies and a CV that is like Santa's freaking Christmas list long. <laughs> and all that stuff is great. And like, I would love to do so many of those things, right? But there's also like an inherent degree of privilege and like being able to do those things. Mm-hmm. And so I think this narrative that like, well, this is the way that you're a real artist a real artist, I think I've really pushed back against that because I'm like, well, there's so many people who don't have the opportunity to do that, but they are real artists. And we can't, if this is the only narrative that's like acceptable, then that's not a real picture of like the human experience, which is what art is about. Anyway, that's just an insight into what I think about all the time when I (laughs) think about this frustration of like, oh, I want to go. I also know it's not my path. Um, I wish I would have known sooner. So I would have gone, but then I have to just keep coming back around to like, hold on, let me like check this story. That's where I'm at. I don't know. Thoughts, similarities, differences. (laughs) Yeah. I love, I love that. Like what you said about art being just about like, I mean, I don't remember the exact words that you literally just said like, (laughs) but Something like telling the tale of humanity. You did not say that, but something like that. That was even better. (laughs) 
<laughs> but yeah, we need we need people from all all the walks. Like, yeah, that's how I feel about that. I I feel like I already said my piece on this, but <laughs> I'm curious if you would ever consider going back to art school now. Such a good question. I have definitely thought about it. And I'm not, I'm not even saying that I never will, but I think it really comes back to something that you said, maybe this will end up being a theme of like, it's not my story. It could be my story. I guess I could choose it. There's reasons why I feel like that would be a great experience and reasons why I feel like given where I'm at now, not like, oh, I'm so great, but I mean, like given where I'm at in the way that I need to support myself and live my life and, um, and just do other things. I, I don't feel like it's perfectly aligned for me. You know, I don't know. I have debates on it all the time. My, I think the answer is probably not. And, but it is something that I think about, but I think my truth is that I'm making more and more peace with like, this is my story. And there's a, a reason that it's going this way. And there's also an aspect of like entrepreneurship that I've had to have not going down the art school route. Like, I think that there's a different route that can take place and it looks a little bit more like moving into grad school and networking in that way and getting chosen that way. And maybe you get a teaching job and it's, um, I think can just look a little different than the more entrepreneurial route that I've had to go. And there's things that I think I've really gained from going this route, like this podcast and getting to connect with people and learn on my own is one of them. And there's ways that I think it suits my personality, but then also ways that I'm like, oh, that other stuff sounds nice. So I think also what I've come to is that there's pros and cons on any side. And I talk about this with my best friend a lot, who's also a writer. And she has this debate with going back to school for her MFA. And it's like, making art is hard, no matter how you slice it. And like, going to school or not going to school, like nothing is going to, nothing is going to absolve you of that. And you kind of just have to like walk the path that makes the most sense for your life. So Mm -hmm. that's where I'm at. Clearly I'm inconclusive. (laughs) What about you? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, same, same, same. Um, The one thing that I do appreciate about school is having the room to really experiment. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I feel like I just haven't really had that opportunity because so much um, of my financial livelihood relies on my work. And Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there are ways to um, change that dynamic. Like if I were to get a day job or, or, a part-time job somewhere, but then that would take the time away from practicing and from experimenting. So there's definitely a part of me that like wishes I I did go to art school instead of journalism school. Um, mm. Cause I probably would have paid about the same amount for either. <laughs> um, maybe one day <laughs> there is a part of me that would like to go back and maybe get like an MFA or something and teach um, like teach in grad school, or, um, I guess it wouldn't, I wouldn't have to be teaching grad school. I could teach like undergrad, but to like, we've talked about this, maybe start to like shift some of the, um, like the culture of academia 
especially Mm -hmm. like in the art world. Um, Yeah, I have a friend who's going to school to get her MFA right now. And it's just been so challenging for her um, because she just, she's a pretty like um, woo-woo, like, you know, just believes that creativity is like an inherent right for everyone and a gift that everyone has in their own way and can tap into. And yeah, people just like scoff at her in grad school. Uh, And that just hurts my heart so much. And I'm sure that not every program is like that, especially like around the world. I feel like different cultures have very different um, approaches to creativity and art than maybe in the United States of America. Um, But that's something I would love to like be a part of shifting but anyway, random. Oh no, yeah, I think that that would be a wonderful use of your of your gifts. Yeah, something I also resonate with is that like, yeah, I wish. I mean, I got a BA in philosophy, <laughs> went to Berkeley for for that, uh, and like I was considering switching my major because that was like the time that I started making art and realizing like, oh, I really love this. And, but I just wanted to get out of there so bad and it would have taken me so much longer. So it just didn't. And I, that I kind of wish I would have done. And, and I'm wondering how you feel about this. I wonder if that means I would be making something totally different now. Like if I would have gone through that experience, I wonder if that means, if that would have set me on a different path and maybe that would have been for better or worse or just different. But I, when I reflect on that regret, I have to think like, well, I was about to say, I do like what I'm making now. And then my other voice came in like, yeah, but it could be a lot better. So I don't know. It's kind of like a toss up. <laughs> oh, and I, I bet you would be feeling the same way if you took the other path. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Like what would have happened if I didn't go to art school and I didn't have all these other voices? I wonder if people yeah. have that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I kind of read that last one. So do you want to, this is, this is going to be oh, a yeah. switch, a switching conversation here. This next okay. one. So the next real artist, dot, dot, dot. Create no matter what. Only amateurs wait for inspiration to strike. Who said that quote again? I have no idea. That would have been a good background for the podcast. (laughs) Clearly, I was just planning on winging this. Yeah, only amateurs wait for inspiration to strike. That quote, that's just like everywhere. Yeah, Stephen King. Is that who that was? Uh, He doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Amateurs sit and wait for inspiration the rest of us just get up and go to work oh that's it that's what we were referring to (laughs) that damn quote (laughs) how how do we feel about this what's your relationship to inspiration versus powering through oh I think that just like most things in life it's like a little bit true and then a little bit not true for me uh it's there's like a balance there um uh, especially when art is your job, because there is like this additional responsibility of, I have to show up, I have to make stuff because I have to eat and I have to pay my rent. But then there's also the like trusting that if I, you know, if I'm like going through a cycle of depression or anxiety or something like traumatic has just happened, Um, or even if I'm just like really tired and I need to sleep, like trusting that I can listen to my body and listen to my intuition. And like, when I'm ready, I will show up again. 
And I guess that's different than inspiration. That's more about just like listening to yourself and taking care of yourself. But yeah, I think there's just a balance to find there for me. I'm still working on it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I have more thoughts, but I want to hear if you have any. <laughs> yeah. So you, you kind of brought up an interesting point about this is really nuanced for many reasons, but one that you brought up for me is like, well, when it's your job and like, I'm reliant um, to make money. Like, of course I can't just like wait for the whimsy or whatever. And that just kind of made me think about I, as much as possible, it's not always possible, but as much as possible, I try to make it so that my money is not reliant on my art sales because I've talked to you about this before, but like sometimes I make work super freaking slow and it just, I just can't, I don't think that at the rates, unless I was selling my paintings for like a crazy amount of money, it's just not sustainable for me to rely on that mainly because like my output isn't that high. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, like my relationship to this whole, uh, do I wait for inspiration or not? And feeling like I should be painting all the time comes less from financial pressure. Sometimes it does. Cause sometimes I had like a mural or a commission or something, but it comes less from financial pressure and more actually like this image that I think I've seen or this rhetoric about like artists need to get up and spend all day, every day in their studio in order to be good, which like almost makes it worse because it's like, oh, this is just something that I'm uh, like a mold I'm trying to fit into to be good enough, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. So I feel this pressure to like, oh, I guess I'm not a real artist if I just like have days where I just can't hit it right. And so I've gone through a lot of phases where I have prescribed to trying to be really consistent, whether I feel like it or not. And sometimes that does help me push through, but I, I don't think that that's always the answer. I think it is genuinely true that sometimes the thing that I'm missing is inspiration and I need to go out and get it or like take more rest, kind of what you were referring to, like, like the self-care side of things. And so I think exactly what you said is right. It's like, it's true and it's not true. Like sometimes yeah, if I waited only until I was feeling great and like on fire because I just like went to an art show or something. I mean, like, yeah, that happens like three times a year, but, <laughs> but there's also a bigger picture of like, I also don't think the answer is like steamrolling and making myself show up all day, every day, just because it's what I think I quote unquote should do. So mm -hmm. there's that. Oh, yes. I have so many feelings around that. That's so good. Share, share, share the feelings. <laughs> oh, um, just you talking about like going out to get the inspiration. Mm. Um, yeah, that really resonates with me. And I've always felt that way. Like an artist is made, an artist isn't, like this is just my belief and I know that other people have different beliefs and like that's totally fine but for myself I really feel like as an artist I am made out in the world like mm. by traveling when it's safe <laughs> and being in nature and like connecting with this world and yeah like spirit for myself and other people and like experiencing life like actually living life 
Like that is where so much of my creativity is built. And um, yeah, it's like, that is just as much as much a part of the creative process that like actually being in my studio and painting is. And I think it's, it's a part that um, like the shoulds side of, of this, like kind of looks down upon, like, yeah, it's all about the, the productivity and that's so much a result of our society and capitalism and all that. But mm-hmm. yeah, like there's just so much that happens beneath the surface that is so important. And that's the stuff that isn't made like in the studio. Yeah. And it's almost even hard to like talk about because it's just like, yeah, I can't even really explain it. It's just like, it's just like being pregnant with a child or something like it's growing inside of you. And just because you're not like birthing the child in this instant doesn't mean that something creative isn't happening. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. I knew what you meant and that really added like a great visual to it. Yeah. It's so true. It is hard to talk about. I think so much of the artist's experience are these subtle, unknowable in the background things that are percolating like in and out of our experience. And that might be just like a whole topic in and of itself. Um, but the work is still happening Mm -hmm. even when you're not being super productive. And sometimes we need to not be productive, quote unquote productive. Yeah. So that more of that can happen. And a big part of this for me, and actually this is going to flow right into the next should, I'm just going to go ahead and name it, which is, um, real artists have long and consistent days in their studio. I don't know why we didn't originally think that these went together. <laughs> now that I'm like talking about these real artists have long and consistent days in their studio or like paint for long stretches of time. So we can kind of segue and say more about that in a second, but yeah, the self-care piece of like, in order for things to percolate in the background and happen in the way that you were kind of just describing, like, I can't be always in that white studio room. I'm blessed to have it. And I'm super thankful for it. And I can't just like live my whole life in there. Mm-hmm. And if I don't have enough self-care and I happen to be somebody, for those of you who knows what this means, I'm a projector and I'm a Pisces and I'm an introvert and I'm all these things. I need like 7 billion times more downtime than like most people I meet. <laughs> yeah. And um, if I don't get it, like the work's not going to happen and me steamrolling over myself is like counterproductive. So Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are yeah. my thoughts. <laughs> yeah. And I have one more thing about that. Yeah. Let me try to, I feel like this is just like on the tip of my brain and tongue, and I don't know if it'll come out, but <laughs> so I feel like that there's another part piece to, to this for me, which is like I I want to push it against that so badly, like only amateurs wait for inspiration to strike. And, and say like how important it is to rest and like not always be productive. But I think so often I, I use that as an excuse to like do things that actually aren't like beneficial to me and my creativity, like watching a whole bunch of TV, which like, I don't have anything against TV. I love TV, but sometimes I watch too much of it. And, or I like, 
am just on Instagram for too long. And it like, I'm in my mind, I'm like, this is resting. Like this is, yeah, this is like a part of the process. And like, it is to an extent, but then, yeah, I almost feel like, oh, I don't know. I lost my train of thought. No, I, 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 I mean, I'm, I'm just going to jump in and tell me if this is like, I mean, I think you, it's explained what, what you're meaning. It's like, yeah, sometimes we need to rest. And sometimes that can be like a tool for procrastination. It's not, it's not always beneficial. And I think that like knowing, and this is the art for for me. And I'm, I want to ask how you do this, but like, how do we determine when like rest is genuinely needed and how do we determine when we need to like kind of overcome the resistance and like show up, even though the process is hard and et cetera, et cetera. And like, I think tuning into that is like part of the game. I don't know if yeah. that flows with like what your point was going to be or yeah. if you remembered, but. Oh, no, it does. Um, I feel like that is a highly individual thing. Like mm-hmm. everyone's going to have a different answer. But for me, I think I know, and I'm just, this is like very top of mind for me. Cause I feel like I'm just, I've been like in this a little bit lately. It's when the rest starts to actually leave me with like more anxiety versus like when I really need it, it definitely feels like a relief and it just, yeah, it feels like aligned and it feels life-giving. And then there's somewhere there, there's somewhere in that process where it like you cross a line and then it just like, you just go downhill and it's just like, you just keep going down and (laughs) yeah, that's how I experience that but I don't know yeah I feel like that's so true like there's a point at which the rest is restorative and then a point Mm -hmm. where there there can be a subtle shift where you feel like it's giving you anxiety I feel like you have another note here that I kind of want to hit on can I just read it out loud sure so part of this myth of having like long and consistent days in the studio is that like when you're in the studio, you should love the process the whole time and should just melt away and basically just be having this like blissful in the flow experience. And like, that's, that, that's how, you know, you're doing it right. And, or there's another picture that you're like the tortured, miserable artist making work out of misery. And like, I think we have these two myths and two pictures that like neither are entirely true. So did you want to like speak on how that I don't know your relationship to that. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's just like another thing that I hear a lot is, and I'm I'm like, sorry, I'm to be honest, like definitely jealous of like, I would love if my time in the studio was just, yeah, that just like transcendent, like time just melting away and you look up and it's been eight hours but for me, it's, it's just not like that. And yeah, like that's definitely a battle I have in my mind sometimes where I'm like, is this a sign that I'm not like, this is not something that I really should be doing or yeah, I don't know. Cause for writers, like writing is torturous for most writers. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime I've tried to do it, I would agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I'm just trying to think of this quote from this book I read recently that I was telling you about the artist rituals book or creative mm. rituals. I forget what the title of the book is, but it was something like coal mining is hard work, writing, writing is torture. <laughs> and this is true. Like, but that is 
Um, but I'm sure that's not true for all writers. But I feel like for painters, that isn't like the commonly held belief. Like, and I don't know why that is. I don't know why painting differs from writing in this way, but it just seems like the, <clears throat> yeah, the like, the vibe around painting and drawing is it's like this relaxing, enjoyable process, which it is for me sometimes, but like, I don't think time has ever just like passed really quickly while I've been painting. <laughs> um, and I think I paint in like shorter bursts of time and that's just the way my process is. And I think that's okay. But yeah, I don't, what do you feel about that? <laughs> No, I think this is all such a good point. And I actually don't know if I've ever specifically had a conversation about this um, or even really heard it talked about, but I think you're so right that I'm even kind of thinking about my, my own trajectory and I'm like, yeah, you know, when I started painting and I was doing it like as therapy and I was just like throwing colors around and like doing this intuitive painting life and like whatever, I did have a lot of experiences like that because I was kind of immersed in this process that like, oh, it doesn't matter what it looks like. And it's just like, do it for the process and blah, blah, blah. And that was such an important part of my journey. And I'm so thankful for it. And it also helped my mental health in ways beyond description. Nothing wrong with that. If that's how you work, I think that's beautiful. However, I changed, like my work changed, my process changed, my relationship to being an artist and making art has changed. And with that, now my process, I think is a little bit more like what you're describing. Like I still enjoy it. I still love what I'm making, but the truth is, is most of the time or not most of the time I go through different phases right now. I'm in a phase where it's actually really hard and my studio days, I often leave frustrated and as you were saying that, I was realizing like, yeah, you're right. That is a myth that's out there. And I think I have my own relationship to it because there's this like, oh, I started that way. Am I doing something wrong now? But I don't think that's the case. I think it's just normal that like, as you're trying to push yourself or do something new or you change or just the, the style you're working in changes. So it requires a different like methodology yeah, it's really normal for me to feel frustrated a lot of the time and it ebbs and flows. Like, and I definitely go through phases where things are feeling magical. And sometimes it's that little burst I need to like get me through the next three months. And it was only like one day, but yeah, I do think it's important to normalize that. Like it might not feel that way. And that doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong. And I also really have the experience I've been having it lately, like where I have a hard time. And then I like question like what I'm doing and if I should be doing this. And so feels good to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good point too about like just trying new things is it can be challenging and growth can be challenging and yeah, discovery and evolution. Like those things are not always easy. A lot of the time they're not easy. And yeah, it's the same in life as it is in art. Like just growing can be hard. Mm -hmm. And yeah, especially if, you know, you're like committed to, to your art and like to expressing that way. Um, yeah, there will come a time when you're out of ideas or you're feeling like you want to try something different and maybe that might seem risky and yeah, or learn something new and it will 
it's like normal and natural for it to maybe feel hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Normalizing that it could definitely feel hard and that it can change. Like, even as I'm saying all that, I'm also like, yeah, I think I'm emphasizing this side because it's what I'm going through right now. And like, I guess I also want to add, like, I guess I already said this, but I do go through phases where things are like really fun and like Mm -hmm. they happen. It, It ebbs and flows. Like they're both, I think neither, neither experience means that you shouldn't be making art or that your art isn't worthwhile. Like they're both normal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's all normal and good. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Did you have anything else you wanted to add in that, that category? Mm, no, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember who's been reading what, who should go next? <laughs> um, okay. I'll read. Okay. So the next one is about having lengthy academic explanations and reasons for your work, aka a fancy artist statement. (laughs) Oh man, (laughs) I feel like this list was definitely written by two self-taught artists. Yeah, it totally was. Yeah, if of course, like these are reflective of like our experience Mm -hmm. and our background and journey. Um, Little plug here, if you want to write in your shoulds or like tag us with like the myths that you experience, I would love to see like what, what shoulds really pervade your studio practice, especially like based on your experiences, which are obviously going to be different than Amanda's yeah. and mine. So that would be really cool what takes stock of. That. Yeah. Please, please share and tag us. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I've, I have heard this from people who have gone through lots of school as well. Like actually, mm-hmm. I think, especially from people who have been through school and I've had them on the podcast, like that feeling of like, oh, I have to defend everything in my work, I think stays with them. So I don't know, this might pervade, might actually be stronger if you go to art school, but I guess we wouldn't know. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Who wants to, who wants to jump in? Do you want to say like, (laughs) do you feel this way? Where are you at with it? Yeah. Um, So I definitely have felt this pressure and to just be like more conceptual with my work. But yeah, I just, I just don't know if that is who I am. Like, I just don't know if I'm that type of person and therefore that type of artist. Like a lot of my work is just based around feelings and like, there's obviously a reason why that feels fluffy, like, because our society doesn't teach us to recognize our feelings as valid and wise (laughs) and important so like it's no mystery to me why I have major like imposter syndrome in this way (laughs) um but yeah I think I I I feel like because what I would really like to do in my career or whatever is like get into more of the exhibition space and like um residencies and I just feel like so many of those want to to hear something like highly conceptual about my work and like I think that I could BS it pretty easily uh like I could make something up about this like blendy like landscape that I painted out in the field behind my house about like I don't know I don't even want to 
make that up right now because I don't know if I have that. We'll save the BS for the applications. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I also want to be like true to myself and I want to be genuine in, in what I'm doing and how I'm putting myself out there. So yeah, I just have to like trust that the right people and the right partnerships will align with just who I am. Um, and yeah, I mean, I have, I have had partnerships and like shows and stuff before. So <laughs> I don't think that this, it's like necessary to be so conceptual. Um, but that's definitely like a myth and a belief that I have and still am working through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like what you kind of brought up there. It's like, I mean, at least in my perspective, and it seems like you just kind of said this too. It's like, yeah, your work is about something. It's about feelings and, you know, there's a whole lot of other stuff there, but it's about something that doesn't fit into this like academic conceptual box, maybe as it exists now, or maybe it does, maybe it could be done in a certain way, but like you're feeling into the things that have been discarded, like in the past, whatever, 500 years. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think so many people relate to that. You know, it's like, well, my work is about something, but maybe I don't feel or know if it's about something that will be welcomed. And therefore I don't know if I fit into this box. I don't know. Just, I don't know if I'm like reflecting that accurately. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. But I think that I just like that you said that. Cause I just imagine that must be experienced for, by so many of us, you know, cause like, of course we're fucking making art about feelings and shit. Like this is yeah. an explicit podcast. I should say that at the <laughs> beginning. Like, of course we are, you know, and I think to act like we're not, or like, oh, that's not valid. It's just like, so it's such a disconnection from like, what's really going on for so many artists, you know? So, mm -hmm. yeah. 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 What, what about you? How do you feel? About oh man. I'm too triggered. Can't, I can't talk about uh, this one. No, I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay. We'll just move on. No, no, no. I'm just kidding. I'm only making that joke because this has been such a thing. Um, yeah, I, gosh, so many things to say about this. So I think the myth that in order to be, what do we want to call it? A valid artist, a great artist, in order to be those things, you have to have this explanation and you have to have it in an academic way. I do not think that's true. I think that there are, I think this is a bigger conversation about like, what does it mean to be a good artist? What does it mean to be a successful artist? Which like could be a whole podcast episode in and of itself. No, I don't think that you need that. I think there's so many ways to get your work into the world and have your work connect with people. And some of my favorite artists are commercial artists um, where this isn't as much of a thing. And I think that their work speaks to so many people and is having a huge impact. So like, I think this is a myth. My relationship to it is complicated. It's complicated because on the one hand, I am somebody who like, connects to meaning. And I enjoy, sometimes I honestly enjoy reading these really beautiful artist statements. And I enjoy learning about people's work in that way when they're written in a way that speaks to me. There's also some that I don't think are written for me. I think they're like pretty far off on an academic edge that maybe will really land with somebody, but it doesn't land for me personally. So 
whatever. There's a whole range in there. Um, so on the one hand, I have this deep appreciation for content and meaning, and I, um, I do see my own work in that way. However, I think where things get tricky is a little bit where you were speaking to, like feeling like I have to put it in this certain box and it has to like, it has to speak to somebody who might be in an academic world in order to get my work in certain places. That's where things start to not feel so good for me. And I think I'm currently in a phase of looking at, and maybe this will go on forever. Like what's really true for me? How can I talk about my work in a way that's true for me and like helps people connect to it and understand it? Like, I think there's just a lot of questions there. And I also think like, just side note, like, this shit is hard. Like writing about your work in this way is really hard. And it's something that like, I've put a little bit more emphasis on in the past couple of years. And yeah. So I guess I have a question there. It's like, oh, do I want to just throw it out because it's difficult or do I want to throw it out because it's like, you know, something institutional that's trying to put me into a box? Like, is there a happy medium? Is it a combination of both? I think I'm just kind of like, I don't really know. And I'm just gonna keep exploring it. One other thing I'll add, and I don't know why I feel like it fits here. It might be like a little tangential. I had a, a consultation with Penny Lane Shen, who I know that like we've both worked with and adore. And I kind of went to her, I think with the intention of working on my artist statement and our artist statement and in regards to like my work. And I just kept saying like, I just want my work to be better. Like whatever I can do to make it better. And she was like, well, better for who? And that's something I sit with all the time. And I think just has to fit somewhere in this conversation about busting myths and shoulds, because it's like, who are we writing this statement for? And I think if we can hone in on that, we'll, we will be helped. But I, I'm like, even still, I'm like, I guess it's for myself, but I guess I want other people to like it too. It's a complex answer. Anyway, somehow I feel that that fits with this like debate around having to explain and defend your work. So, okay. That was a big splurge. Thoughts, <laughs> reflections. <laughs> what did she, what did she say? Well, I'm curious if you are okay with sharing Yeah. Um, what, how you answered that question when she said for who, better for who? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I paused and I said, I don't know. I, I don't know if she like it might've been kind of rhetorical. Like, I don't know if she directly asked me. I think she was saying like, I want you to think about better for who, but yeah, I mean, ultimately the answer is like better in my own eyes. Like ultimately Mm -hmm. I want to feel good about my work. And I think that's, and I think part of that for me does entail understanding more about it, like in a verbal way, part of it, not all of it. (laughs) So yeah, better for myself first and foremost. And then maybe there is like better for the collectors that it's meant to resonate with. Like maybe that's in there as well, but I'm still, still fleshing it out. How would you answer that question? I don't know (laughs) if that feels like it even applies to you, but I think it's kind of, well, like everything, it just feels so nuanced. Uh Uh, Yeah. Um, Because there's definitely the part of me that's like wanting it, wanting to just be like accepted and be thought of, like in a nice, in a, in a, like, not even just a nice light, but like, I want people to, to, to feel like I want to be respected as an Mm -hmm. artist. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I feel kind of like weird saying that, but I think a lot of us feel that way. 
Oh yeah. I feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm ready to accept my award any day now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But then there's like the very practical side of it too. Um, that's like, yeah, maybe I could really work on my artist statement through the lens, like for this residency. And like, that's, yeah. Like, I think that's very like valid to want to work on your statement so it, it like is communicating more clearly or like yeah fitting into this like opportunity that you're wanting to get but then there's like the deeper the deeper side to it as well and then I'm just wondering like why do we like where did artist statements even come from <laughs> like that when would be did a that, great topic <laughs> the history of artist statements I just wonder like did did like Matisse have an artist statement like I don't think so I don't know maybe but I just feel like I don't know I'm just curious about where this all began and and like especially with conceptual art like I don't have a very strong like art history background or anything like that but I've done a little bit of reading on my own time (laughs) um more than a little bit but yeah I just wonder like if it's something newer that cropped up with like art school becoming more common and conceptual art becoming more of a thing like I just I wonder about Mm. that well now we're gonna have to find out also tag us if you know the answer to these questions (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I want to yeah I think that's a great question like the history of it in my mind I, I don't know the history of it but like I would imagine in its simplest form it's so that people can learn about the work, right? Like in its simplest non-academic, like, and I was even thinking, you know, maybe back in the day, it was so that gallerists could tell people about the paintings they were selling. Like that seems the most logical to me, mm-hmm. um, but I will have to like actually look into the the history of it. But yeah, so I'm like at its core, it's just so people can, under, like people like a piece of art and they just want to be like, where'd this, what is this? Where did it come from? And I think, in its most yeah. genuine form, it's that. And I think with conceptual art and in academia, it's it's also become something else. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> so, like it could yeah. be so simple. It could just yeah. be so simple. Yeah, it's like, these are the water lilies in the lake behind my house. Yeah. Ash Monet. <laughs> it's so hard for me because I'm like, yeah, truthfully for me, that isn't a simple answer. Right. So I think that's where I'm having a lot of personal grappling that mm-hmm. I'm hoping. I'm also just giving myself time. I'm like, you know, I think it is the case that sometimes it could take years for an artist to even like understand their own work or like for what I'm doing in the studio to click mm-hmm. like with my, my own mental understanding fully. Mm-hmm. And, or maybe it never fully clicks because art's not like a verbal thing. So lots of nuance there, but yeah, I definitely don't think it's the case that you have to have that in order to be like a good or valid, whatever successful artist. So yeah, that's my two cents. Agreed. <laughs> okay. Did we have more on that one? Any last lingering thoughts? Um, no, I guess just your point about like abstract art being definitely more challenging for like totally understanding your work. And I think that's totally fine too, to like not fully understand your own like abstract work. 
Mm-hmm. Like that's the work of a lifetime. I feel. Yeah. I actually read, I have side note on artist statements. I have a great book on artist statements. <laughs> if anybody wants to pick it up, it's called art, right? And in the book, she, it's very simple. Um, and like easy to read. And she says, like, I think right in the first pages, she's like an artist statement. You don't have to know everything about your work. That would be impossible. It's about knowing some things. So I think that's already like, that's already a given that like, you wouldn't explain everything. And I think it would take away from the work anyway, but I'm kind of like, yeah, I even have a hard time nailing down some things. So, yeah, Yeah. I think I would just like to see, like, if I can be so bold to say this, (laughs) I think I would just like to see more artist statements that, that feel like someone's like true voice. Mm, Like they're, yeah. And I feel that pressure too, to like use all this jargon and like make it sound so like deep or like important or whatever, like just sound a certain way. But um, like, I just love hearing people like just be themselves. And I, I just wish, it just doesn't seem like that's like totally accepted in the art industry. And I kind of, I just wish it was cause I would much prefer to read basically like an Instagram caption versus mm-hmm. someone's like really like academic and intense artist statement. Yeah. But that's just me. (laughs) Yeah, no, totally agreed. I mean, I would prefer that as well. Um, I think as artists and collectors, which I would consider myself a baby collector, but still that's what I would, that's what I care about, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Okay. The final, the final myth, (laughs) unless we tangent off, which we very well might. And now that I'm reading it, I'm like, oh yeah. Okay. (laughs) For some reason, I'm having a hard time saying this one. Do you want to read this one? I'm having a hard time like formulating it into a thought. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. So this is another one where it seems like there's just like opposite ends and they both are like tropes or something. So there's like the starving artist. Um, Yeah. So we all know what that is. And then there's, <laughs> the, there's the like, and I only thought of this today because I was watching Sex in the City. Have you ever seen that show? Of course. Okay. <laughs> I was watching that the other night where Carrie was dating that artist. Like, Oh, the like Russian guy? Yeah. The Russian yeah, artist. Yeah, yeah. And he has this like penthouse overlooking New York City and like knows all these famous people and I feel like that's another like trope which is yeah like the blue chip artist fancy bougie like celeb they're almost like they are a celebrity Mm -hmm. and yeah they're like going to all these cool parties and yeah so there's there's that um and I just I don't see a lot of like the in-between portrayed in media or whatever um Mm -hmm. yeah so I don't know what we want to say about this but just like yeah that totally I think just like fleshing it out and being like there are like middle class or just like working just like regular ass working artists who aren't starving who aren't like I think the starting art, starving artist myth for me, I imagine somebody living in like a Bay area dungeon and like, actually there certainly are those people. And I've kind of like been my own version of that at a time. So there's, 
<laughs> that is also can't happen, but like just to normalize there's people who are successful artists and also have like great part-time jobs. Yeah. And there's people who like make like a very middle of the road, have a very middle of the road experience. And the, and I think the, the whole reason that I think that's even important to say, or like my point with that would be, it doesn't make any of these people's, no matter what part of the spectrum you're on, I don't think it's like an indicator of how great your work is. So like, I even think with the starving artists, there's this like, uh, I don't know, alluring humility of something of, of someone who like gave everything to their work and their work's really good. And then, you know, with like the high end artists, like, well, of course we think that's like the ultimate art. And it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know, like a banana on a wall or some shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so just to say, and I think like on both ends, those people could be making good art and the people who are having like a middle of the road experience exist. And their art is probably also just as valid or can be, and it doesn't yeah. have to look like these extreme pictures. Yeah. Yeah. There's like some glamour to each of those, like the starving artist and yeah, the like committed, just like busting their ass, like eating beans and rice. Like there, there is Mm. some like romanticism to that. And Mm -hmm. like being in poverty is not romantic. Like, you know, like it's it's hard and (laughs) it's stressful as fuck. Yeah. (laughs) So um, but I, and I really love this idea of like normalizing the kind of in between, like the mom who has, who does like a part-time marketing job. And then she also is like selling collections of art and, or yeah, just like, I don't know why I keep thinking of, um, like caretakers, like a nanny mm. who also does like really cool murals or something. It's yeah, there's just so much like in between. And I think that's where the majority of people land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or like yeah. having a course or a podcast or whatever. And like, yeah, there are just so many ways to be um, and to be an artist. So many ways. Um, yeah, there's so many different, so many different choices to make. And I think we've kind of covered that a little bit, even in like art school, no art school or how you started out. Like there's so many different choices on how to do this. And then, you know, the kind of art you make or the kind of realm you end up in is like a whole other conversation. But yeah, all of it to me is like, well, of course not all work is like great work, but anybody in any of these slots can be making really great work. And I guess that would be my main, my main point with that. Something that might be like a little closer to home, or I know it is for me, is like kind of an Instagram version of this. Like all artists are like selling out all their collections or all the artists I'm seeing online are full-time. Like that might be for me something that has, yeah, been over my head a little bit more in the past. I don't know. Do you want to speak to that? Or I can say, I don't know. Yeah. What's your relationship to that? Oh, um, I definitely relate to the selling out the collections, like the pressure of that. And yeah, anytime I don't like I post something and I don't sell it, there's definitely some insecurity there. Yeah. There's just like a lot, a lot to say about it, but I don't know. What are you, (laughs) what are you going to say? Well, I guess I just kind of wanted to name like this is an experience. Like I have also had the experience, um, especially when I was starting out of looking out and just assuming everybody is selling all their work 
and or assuming that people with large followings and beautiful pages are full-time. And I guess I just want to name, like, that's, I know a lot of people at this point. I mean, I don't know like a lot of people, but I know enough people (laughs) to know that that's not true. And I guess maybe, maybe my point here is I really want to normalize like the slow selling of work. I want to normalize that, especially in your first couple of years and maybe much longer work might sit on your shelf or on your site for years. And that doesn't mean that like your work isn't good. It doesn't mean anything. It's just, that's a really common experience. And like, for me now, now I think I do a little less comparing because I do feel a little bit more, well, that's not true. I do comparing, but on different things and in different ways, but also just to name like my medium to large works do take a long time to sell. Um, and that's just where I'm at. And like, maybe that will change as I grow, but that's my current experience. And there was a point in time when my small works like took a long time to sell. Now those go quick, but it's been years to get here. And so just kind of like naming, I have a lot of people come to me who feel like they don't want to put work up for sale because they feel like things never sell. And I just kind of want to say like, well, yeah, that's kind of part of it. (laughs) That's kind of how it goes, you know, sometimes for a while. Until you get and it better. means nothing about you. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything or, about you or your work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I had, I, there's an artist I really love who I, I like went on their website the other day and saw that they had like a bunch of work that hadn't sold. And it was like strangely comforting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, okay. And this person's like very popular and I'm just like, okay, yes. Like, it's okay to not sell out of work. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, like it's okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm also remembering like Danielle Krissa. She shared this story on her podcast. Like she had a big solo exhibition. This is, I've really had this with exhibitions. It feels almost like more vulnerable or something when you have a show. And she talked about how she was like apologizing to the gallery owner because like, I don't know if nothing sold or one thing sold. I don't remember the story, but very little sold. And she was like, I'm so sorry. My work doesn't sell. didn't sell. You put this big show on. They were like, that's normal. Like work doesn't sell on opening night. Sometimes it does, but like, this is the more normal experience. So that story feels comforting. (laughs) Yeah. That is very comforting. I mean, that's so just like our, what we're used to now, like instant gratification and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I'm all here for the like slow, sustainable burn. That sounds Mm -hmm. really nice. You know, it is like, I think, I think I appreciate it more. Like now there were definitely years where things, it felt like nothing was happening and like, I do not wish to go back there. And I think it's normal to go through that. But now that I'm kind of in a groove, I think I have so much more appreciation for the slow burn because I see how much work it is to like upkeep sales and commissions and projects. And like, I still am at a point where I would like to be bringing in more of them. It's not like I'm tapped out, but I even just see from the amount of work I've had that like slow is actually a gift. It doesn't always feel that way. Yeah, no, Um, no, definitely not. But, but like when you look back, I'm like, yeah, I needed this so I could adjust and have my work be better. And like growing into it is a lot and I'm still growing into it. I'm like not even close to being halfway. I'm probably like a freaking 16th of the way or whatever, but (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And something I really want to try more of in the future is, um, just like creating bigger works 
that are more expensive. And I like fully anticipate that those will take longer to sell. But there's something about like the constant like churning out of the small works that really is so exhausting. Like I planned, like I'm still very much in the place where I'm kind of month to month. Like, I mean, I have some, you know, like I have money saved up for slow months and all of that, but I'm still in the place where, yeah, like I'm figuring out how to make my ends meet every month. And yeah, I like planned on selling all of these like small, like making all these small pieces for a launch in the next couple of months. And then I saw how much money I would make off of it and it would just cover my expenses for like one month. And I was just like, ah, oh, that is so mm. like, that just is like a punch in the gut. Uh, and that's like, if I sell them all, you know, it's so much pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that like, no, I, I love where this conversation is going. <laughs> it's a, it's like, it's a slight tangent, but I, I clearly had a feeling that we were going to do this. I am so here for this conversation about the churning out of the small works. You know, I've, I've shared this with you. Like I want to make larger works to me. They're so time consuming and they probably won't sell, but I also know that I have to make them if I ever want to get to a place where they, I mean, they do sell, they just take a long time. Um, there's like a leap that has to happen. And I think managing all of that. And then, yeah, the piece you added about like making all the small works to cover your expenses can just feel like churning them out. And it's a real place. I don't know. That's, <laughs> that's my thought is like, yeah, this is all very real and part of it. Um, yeah. But I see that you've been making bigger works. There's one right behind you. <laughs> Yes, I have. And it feels really good also to change up from just working so small. So I'm excited, but there's also going to be like a transitioning period with that too. I'm sure. Cause it is changing your, like, I always want to make small works because I feel like they're more accessible and that's like really important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just don't want my income to like rely on that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, as your price point changes, so does your, maybe your customer. So I'm like also trying to prepare for that. And it might mean like taking up a, a part-time job until things like balance out and that's okay too. Mm-hmm. It's all on that spectrum of being in the middle. <laughs> yeah. On that note, I think that taking on other work can be such a gift to your art, like yeah. work paid work outside of making art. Like, I think that, you know, just since we're here talking about myths, um, and I kind of mentioned this about the full-time thing, but there's this myth, like you're a more real artist if you're full-time. And I actually think that like, if you really want to serve your work, the answer is not always being full-time. The answer could be being full-time and then taking on work and then going back to be full. Like there's all kinds of ways to do it, but yeah, like dismantling this picture that like going all in means going full-time. I don't think that that's true. Yeah. Nah. Nah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Uh, I feel like we covered some good ground, like with (laughs) that little jump off as, as jump off point. Do we have concluding thoughts? Like anything from any of these that we wanted to say that we didn't get to say anything on the small works versus large works? Um, yeah. Or maybe just how, 
I don't know, advice for people navigating the shoulds in general, any of those things sound, do any of those sound appealing? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I have advice, Okay, (laughs) but I guess my, I feel like my main takeaway from this conversation is just, it's so maybe cliche, but it's like, wherever you are is perfectly fine. And like, yeah, I don't know. There's like no one way to do this. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I think it's a real, and I've thought about this for myself, like part of the work of being an artist, but I think also maybe just being a human is constantly, um, like checking the thoughts and the standards that I'm holding myself to and like asking, like, is this true? Is this real? Or is this something that the outside world slash Instagram slash media or whatever a friend is, has, has been like projecting or putting out, um, like, is this something that I really think is true? And I think it's work to constantly be checking those standards and those thoughts. But um, yeah, I think it's important for your sanity and to like stay the most true to what would really be best for you in your own, in your own path. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's totally okay to change and like go back and forth between all of these things. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. 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 Like it's, it's great if you went to art school. It's great if you're a rich and famous artist. Like it's it's not to say that um like any of these are bad either. I think it's just like checking what feels right for you and how you work and what's true for you. Yeah. And I like that that it is always changing. Like that's I think one of the things that has drawn me to drawn me to to <laughs> working for myself and working as an artist is like it's always evolving. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about a lot of the things I shared here today. I would have had completely different responses six months ago or a year ago, mm-hmm. um, like literally completely different. And so I wish we had a compare contrast, but maybe we'll check in next year and see where we're at. Oh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I love that idea. Where are we at with this now? Are we rich yet? <laughs> now, how do we feel? <laughs> uh cool well that's probably a good place to wrap it up thank you so much for having this conversation on air we I feel like in this conversation your presence really helps me with transparency like I always try to be transparent it's my intention but I think like kind of by osmosis your transparency encourages mine so um I feel good about that I agree yeah Yeah. I love connecting so thank you I hope you thoroughly enjoyed that conversation with Amanda. One thing I wanted to just kind of tag on to the intro here is that after we brought up the history of artist statements and realized that we didn't have any concrete facts about it, I went on a little Google rabbit hole just to see what I could find. And there's lots of different theories about when this became an official thing, although I do think it's a consensus that it is relatively recent. Um, Some people say it didn't officially start until the 90s when conceptual art became more of a thing. Others uh, trace it more back to the 60s. And then others say that 
the artist manifestos that Matisse and artists like him came out with either to sell and or explain their work, and lots of debate about the motives there, um, the, those manifestos were kind of like the OG version of an artist statement. So anyway, you want to slice it, it is relatively new and maybe has more to do with our current climate and how um, the art world operates. So I'm going to tag the article I found to be the most juicy and informative, and I encourage you to do some research and also let me know what you find. Or I would really love to hear from somebody who specializes in this subject if you are that person or know someone. Um, please make sure to go check out Amanda's work. Like I said, all links are in the show notes, and you can also find links for the Patreon for myself where you can get that bonus episode that I mentioned in the introduction. Other ways that are totally free where you can support the show are to leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. Just scroll down to the bottom of the app, hit the five stars if you feel so inclined, and write a little something if you have the time because those words mean so much to me. I check all the time and every review we get, I do like a little celebration. You can also find us on Instagram, at Art and Magic Podcast and shares and tags of the show are always really appreciated and are honestly the main way that we get the word of the show out. I will see you next week for another juicy creative conversation. I decided to kick off season three with three back-to-back weekly episodes that will come out every Wednesday and then after that we'll be moving to bi-weekly episodes. So take care, thanks for being here, and I'll see you next time.